Good morning. Welcome to worship at Faith Church, to those of you who are here in person, as well as to those of you who are live streaming. It is good for us to be able to praise the Lord, to be together with Him, and to hear His Word. I was uh, away on study time the last couple weeks. It's good to be back. It's good to have times of refreshment and renewal over the course of our lives, and also every week as we gather on Sunday. It's good to be back in this new year as we look forward. A couple updates as we look toward worship today and the next few weeks. Today we are focusing on Sanctity of Life Sunday, and so our Right to Life committee will be uh, making a brief presentation and offering a prayer. Next week we're celebrating Cadet Sunday, and the couple weeks after that we will be partaking of the Lord's Supper together. This has been and continues to be a really challenging season with the pandemic, but it is good for us to continue to gather, to care for those around us, to care for our church family, to give thanks to the Lord, and to receive His his encouraging and wonderful grace. You can check out our bulletin for continued worship and ministry updates, but now please stand to receive the Lord's greeting as we begin worship. Receive this blessing from the Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And let's respond to God's greeting by drawing closer to Him through song. Today we commemorate Right to Life Sunday. January 22, 1973 is the date the Supreme Court handed down the decision on Roe v. Wade, legalizing the murder of unborn babies, the leading cause of death in the United States, and the start of the American Holocaust. This time I'd like to thank our church for the financial and material support of Caring Network. But it takes more than money, diapers, and wipes to oppose abortion. We must speak up for the unborn babies. The Protestant Church has been silent far too long on this issue. In the words of a song, Sound of Silence, that was popular in the 1960s, silence like a cancer grows. As a church of Christ, we must repent of our silence. We need to come together as a church of Christ and be on the front lines of the battle for life for all ages. Let our voices be heard in this culture of death that we are living in. We can do this in a number of ways. First and foremost, by praying, both privately and also corporately as a church. There are two prayer groups listed in the bulletin. 
Men, you are welcome to join us in person Saturday mornings. And Tuesday evening, everyone is invited to a prayer meeting on Zoom. Or you can start your own prayer group. Mighty things happen when God's people pray. Second, volunteering and supporting organizations that promote pro-life agendas. Third, communicating our stand for life to our political officials at local, state, and national levels. Fourth, become aware of the facts of abortion on demand and be able to express why we believe abortion to be wrong in a non-confrontational, sincere, and respectful way with our neighbors. Also, we must give support to women and families that are facing crisis pregnancies before and after the baby is born, and give support to women and men who in the past have believed the lie that our culture puts out that abortion was a good option or their only choice. We must also share the gospel with anyone who comes into our lives, no matter what they are doing or have done in their past, and show them that there is forgiveness for all sins through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Today begins the Baby Bottle Drive, which supports Caring Network as they support women who find, it, find themselves in an unwanted pregnancy situation. Please consider filling a baby bottle remotely by going to Network dot com to donate or pick up a real baby bottle from the church entry and fill it and return it. Help others choose life. I'd also like to read a brief article that's on the website from uh, Caring Network. What it takes to save a life. For almost 40 years, Caring Network has stopped pursuing, has never stopped pursuing that answer. Their staff is on the front lines in the battle for life. The team brings the very best tools into the crisis of an unplanned pregnancy. The latest ultrasound technology and counseling skills and intervention. Addressing the complex issue that compelled a mother to seek abortion as her answer. In almost 40 years of ministry, Caring Network has been used by God to save many thousands of lives. But despite their effectiveness, abortion remains a significant issue in our in our community. Every year, nearly 1,500 abortions take place in DuPage County. And when surrounding communities within reach of Caring Network Center are included, the number increases to almost 4,500. These women and their children are on the hearts of all who work for Caring Network as they strive to increase their outreach and access so that every woman vulnerable to choosing abortion can get the help she needs. Those women are served, are in need of compassion, guidance, and practical help. If Caring Network can reach these women before they go to Planned Parenthood or another local abortion provider, as many as three out of four would choose life for their children. For those who visit Planned Parenthood, Independent research shows that their children will most, almost certainly be lost. Listen to what it takes to save a life. Internet and marketing, $300. Hotline and chat supports, $150. Pregnancy testing and initial sessions, $100. Pregnancy counseling services, $250. Ultrasound services, $350. Ongoing services, $50, total cost, $1,200. Please consider contributing to the Caring Network. Shall we go to our Lord in prayer? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just come humbly before you this morning, Lord, and we just have praise on our lips and we have joy in our hearts because we have such a wonderful, caring, loving, forgiving Lord and Savior. And Lord, on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, when we celebrate life, and we celebrate breath, we know that we live in a culture of death. And Lord, we're grateful, we're thankful, we praise you for such organizations like Caring Network. We're grateful, Lord, for 
the volunteers for this staff, and most importantly, Lord, we're grateful that when these uh, young women come in looking for counseling, that the gospel is presented to them clear. They understand the gospel and, and know what it means to, to serve you. And Lord, we're grateful for ultrasound that helps these young moms when they see that precious, precious child on the screen. It, it changes so many hearts and it softens so many hearts and it changes so many minds. And Lord, we're grateful that Faith Church is able to uh, partner with Caring Network and support them financially through our collections, uh, support them through their, their banquet. And most of all, Lord, we can support them with our prayers. Each and every day, Lord, we can come before you and pray for the unborn and, and pray for our nation that this, this sin of abortion can be lifted. And we know, Lord, the sin of abortion, just like all sin, is, can be forgiven by you. And we thank you, Lord, that Calvary covers it all, all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame. We thank you, Lord, for forgiving us. But most of all, we thank you for sending your precious, precious son into this world to live a perfect life and then die for each one of us. And we pray it in his name alone. Amen. As Christians, we believe in the Lord God, our Creator, who made all life, who made human beings in His image, and who calls us to value the life of every single human being from womb to tomb. And we also believe in the Lord God, our Redeemer, who, through the work of Christ, is able to and willing to forgive us of all of our sins, regardless of what they are. This morning, we're going to have a profession of faith from our contemporary testimony, Our World Belongs to God, that helps us to reflect on, on how we work out what it means that we believe in the Lord as our creator and redeemer and, and how we value sanctity of life. The words will be on the screen. I invite you to read along as the screen will indicate. Jesus Christ rules over all. Life is a gift from God's hand who created all things. Because it is a sacred trust, we treat all life with awe and respect, especially when it is most vulnerable, whether growing in the womb, touched by disability or disease, or drawing a last breath. With those words, we're going to continue in worship, singing several songs that affirm the sanctity of life and our trust in the Lord God. Let's stand to sing.
as I am. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I The Lord does indeed accept us just as we are, and He works in us to make us more of who we're supposed to be. One way that He works in us and through us is through prayer. Let's, let's now go to our Heavenly Father together in prayer. Father, we're grateful that You take us just as we are. We're grateful that you accept us and that you adopt us as your children. And we pray that you take us and that you transform us. Help us to reflect who you are more fully. And deepen our commitment to you so that we can stand firm in you and so that we can be your witnesses in this world. Father, we pray for our church here at Faith. We pray that you bless Pastor Greg and the whole Schuringa family as, as they begin to wrap up this chapter of their lives at Elmhurst and look forward to the next chapter at Wapun. Provide them with continued direction and grace in the coming months. And Father, we pray too that you grant faith, counsel, and congregation humility and, and wisdom to move forward here at faith. 
Work in all of us so that we grow in knowing and praising you. Show us how we can grow in love and grace and discipleship and service. Give us the ability to grow in reaching out and welcoming new people in. And Father, as always, we pray that you walk with us through the hard times in our lives. Grant David Egan and Ruth Corda and Ron Vandernald continued, continued recovery from their recent surgeries. Give them physical strength and improvement, and also grant them emotional stamina and spiritual refreshment. We ask, too, that you give their family members the ability to stand with them, to encourage them, to, to be compassionate and caring. Grant Ray Rosendahl increased strength and, and ability as he recovers from a stroke. Help him to learn the new skills he needs and give him the determination and, and the optimism to do the work he needs to do. We pray, too, that you bring both peace and righteousness to our nation. As we look back over the last few months, we see such trouble. Protests turning to riots, politicians stoking our divisions, a, a pandemic overwhelming our social and economic fabric. And as we focus today on the sanctity of life, we see so many ways that our culture devalues the gift of life that you have given. To our enduring shame, we deny the humanity of the unborn and we dispose of them as if they were worthless. And we neglect and turn away from those who are in need. Those who don't have enough money. Those who don't have a place to call home. Those, those who don't have the support they need to thrive. And we cut down those who look differently or, or act differently or believe differently than we do. We turn away from our elderly we refuse respect. We refuse to give them the respect that they deserve. And we devalue their continued existence. Father, remind our nation and remind each of us of the value of all human life. Help us to see your image in each and every human being. And to care for the least and the last just as we would want to be cared for and just as you care for us. We confess that on our own, we are not able to do this. We are selfish, we are limited, and so we pray that you provide, that you provide the power so that we can live in a love like your love, a love that enables us to put you first and to put our neighbors ahead of ourselves. Lead and guide us, we pray, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. As we look forward to hearing God's word this morning, let's stand and together sing, Open Our Eyes, Lord. be seated and may God hear our prayer as we go to his word now. We're going to be reading Genesis uh, 45, Genesis chapter 45. Last week we had ended with the second, basically the whole second half of the previous chapter was a speech of repentance. Judah, one of those brothers of Joseph, stood up and confessed finally the guilt of the brothers and what they did to Joseph long ago and what they did to their father. So we're, we're, pick the, we're picking it up just after that, that long, heartfelt speech of repenting for their past sins. 
Uh, before we read, let, let me lead us in a prayer that's um, taken from the words of the letter of James, chapter 1. Let's pray. Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change and from whom comes every good and perfect gift, through your word now, give us the gifts of your life and your light today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's listen together to God's holy and infallible word from Genesis 45. And then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. You, you can bet they were, huh? Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land and for the next five years, there will not be any plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all that you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still coming. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have done, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterward, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. And so the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing but to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. And then he sent his brothers away. And as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced. My son Joseph is still alive, and I will go and see him before I die. Today, I'd like us to start thinking about this chapter at the end of our reading with that little powerful scene with Jacob, Israel, as he's also called, the patriarch of God's family back then in its early years, this family that would grow to one day become a great nation that would be called after him. Israel, as the Old Testament moves forward. 
We had left him last, I think it was a couple of chapters ago, quite forlorn. Almost, it seemed almost a little bit melodramatic, but he was very much in distress. Remember, he said, I am bereaved. I am bereaved. And he said that, and he was in that distress after finally relenting and allowing his youngest son, Benjamin, to go down to Egypt with his brothers so they could buy more grain. The fact that he was spent, bereaved, beat down, it was really his own doing. Jacob, his whole life long, and even into old age, continued to wrestle with God. He would not totally surrender. He could not and would not let go of his favorite wife, Rachel, even long after her death, and it resulted in that favoritism he had of her son's first, Joseph, and that caused all sorts of problems in the family. And then later, we see his favoritism was focused on his youngest son, Benjamin, We're supposed to, as God's people, hang on to our God tightly and the things of this earth, even our loved ones, loosely. But he hung on to Benjamin tightly, and he was hanging on to God loosely. He needed to let go of Benjamin. God like he does with all of us, will sometimes use circumstances to get us, his children, back on track, back to a closer walk with him. And and he does that in Jacob's life through that famine so that he's forced to let go of Benjamin. The other brothers had told him they weren't allowed to come back to Egypt and buy more grain unless their youngest brother was with them. So it was either let his precious Benjamin go, surrender him in a sense, or all of Jacob's family would certainly starve. God forced his hand in a sense to give up what he was clinging to too tightly. And he does that in our lives too. Though this Jacob was a tough old codger, fighting a bit with God throughout his life, we can't help but feel sorry for him because we're just like him in so many ways. In the scene at the end of this chapter, Jacob is stunned when he learns Joseph is alive. Um, So it was when Joseph was 17 that his 10 brothers tricked Jacob into believing that he'd been killed by a, a wild animal. Now it's been about 20 years, we figure, has passed. For 20 years, he's thought Joseph was dead. And now he's hearing his long-lost son is alive. He's alive and well, so well that he's ruling in Egypt. He's stunned, we read. He can't hardly believe it. But then when the sons backtrack and give him the whole story and he, he sees all the carts to transport himself and, and the women and the children, it sinks in. And we read, one, Jacob is convinced. Two, Jacob is revived. And this is a picture for us of salvation. What it looks like when you've heard and accepted He's heard some good news. This is a picture of what it looks like when we hear and someone accepts the good news. Jacob is revived. He has a new lease on life. He's born again, in a sense. And this chapter as a whole shows us what God's plan looks like to bring you and me and anyone who believes in Jesus where Jacob has come to at the end of this chapter, from lost, from bereaved, uh, from the light having left his life, to being revived and the light shining on him and his family again, to new life from this incredibly good news that he receives. That journey that Jacob and his sons also went on these ancient forefathers of ours in the faith, is the one that God takes all who belong to him on through and with his plan of salvation. We, we see here what that looks like. We see how it goes. 
and we'll be looking at it, of course, from the perspective of of what we read exactly in Genesis 45, but what that perspective is doing is it's foreshadowing, it's pointing us to Jesus and his work. The father used Joseph, our father, our heavenly father, used Joseph then for his people's salvation, and it was a picture of what he would do later in history in Jesus. So first today, the Father sends a Savior. A Savior needs to be sent. And and that's what happened with Joseph's family long ago. Did you catch what Joseph said in verse 7? God sent me, God sent me ahead of you to save your lives. God had a plan with Joseph, thrown into a pit, sold as a slave, then managing Potiphar's household, only to be thrown in prison, all these ups and downs of his life before finally becoming Pharaoh's right-hand man. And it was all, it turns out, it was all to save his family. The brothers who had sold him into slavery, that was wrong and sinful of them to do that. But, but God had a greater purpose to the extent that Joseph says it was God who sent me here, not you. He's the one who made me father to Pharaoh. He raised me to this position. Why? What was it all about? To save their lives with a great deliverance, he says. It's to save them from starvation because of the famine in Egypt, like in Egypt in Canaan was that was in Egypt was also in Canaan where they lived but more than saving them from famine god was saving his family back then from the world we had read how worldly joseph's brothers had been living they were living like the people in Canaan they were living like the canaanites they seemed very close to rejecting their faith completely In Egypt, where they were going, we're going to see, and we already read it, they would be given their own special region to live in. We read it was Goshen. And the reason for that is, and remember at the the dinner, the banquet with Joseph and the brothers, Egyptians wanted to stay separate from people of other races. So they are given Goshen, which is very generous for to them, but they're keeping them separate because that's, they don't want to mingle among them. And of course, the result of that will be that God's family is going to move together throughout the generations together in one place. And being together and not mingled in with the Egyptians, they're going to be able to preserve and keep their faith without influence from the world like there was back in Canaan. They're also going to be saved. They'll be saved from starvation. They'll be saved from the world and its ways. They're also going to be saved from their enemies. Back in Genesis 34, a couple of Jacob's brothers had riled up the tribe's near them to the extent that Jacob said, knock it off, guys. Stop causing trouble. We're a very small number of people, and if the people of the land around us join forces against us because you're riling them up, making them angry, we will surely get totally wiped out. But going to Egypt, they'd be under the protection of that great nation. No one would dare to go into Egyptian territory and mess with Jacob and his family. God's family would be delivered from any enemies who would seek to destroy them as long as they were under Egyptian care and rule, in a sense. Everything happening here in the Old Testament, in the very infancy of the church, is a foreshadowing of what God would do later for his family in the fullness of time. As God sent Joseph 
down to this pagan nation of Egypt to deliver his ancient people, God would later send Jesus down to the darkness of this world to be the savior of the world. And all who believe in the greater than Joseph are going to be saved from spiritual famine as we drink from Christ, the, the living water, and as we eat the bread of life, we are being saved and protected from the world around us and from our enemies in the world and from the devil and his minions as we keep close to our Savior and stay close to his family, his flock, his church. So Joseph was sent for the salvation of God's family back then. And there, there are times in life when you need to send for the right person. Over the last number of years, I have been through effort, through trial and error, through YouTube videos, trying to figure out how to do some of my home repairs. Uh, but I'm still no handyman. If, if it gets beyond something relatively simple, um, I, I, I do more and more, but if it's beyond anything that is a very simple, uh, we have to send for someone. That someone that the church property committee set up to take care of the church's parsonage that we live in is Todd Lindemolder. He comes and he makes sure everything is kept up and in good order for us, for the church. And, and when we, I come to the end of my rope and my abilities, but send for Todd, then I know and we know, and I think the church knows, the job is going to get done. In our reading, God sent Joseph and the work uh, to get done the saving of his family. And later in history, Jesus would come, would be sent fully God, fully man, the only one who could get the job done of saving his people from their sins. Our Father sends the Savior, but more than that, he reveals the Savior to his family. And this is important, and this needs to happen. After that great repentance of Judah at the end of chapter 4, 44 that I mentioned already, we see here Joseph can't keep it together anymore. He sees the brothers have changed from their ways. They're different. They pass the tests that Joseph and the Lord had for them, including that final test with the silver cup. In fact, they pass all the tests with flying colors. Joseph has everyone leave the room but him and his 11 brothers. He finally tells them who he is. He'd been standing in front of them the whole time, but they didn't recognize him until he revealed himself. Then their eyes were opened, and, and that immediately brings to my mind those two who were on the road to Emmaus after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus was walking along with them as they were headed home out of Jerusalem. He was talking to them. He was telling them about himself, really, and what had happened in Jerusalem the previous couple days, um, how he was killed on the cross. But they didn't recognize him, even though he was right there with them talking. They saw him, but they didn't really see him. Until, we read in Luke, their eyes were open, and they recognized him. He was revealed. And this is true for all of us, that the Father needs to open our eyes for us to see Jesus. Jesus needs to be revealed to us. And so we pray that. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus because we can't on our own. We're blinded in our sin. And this is why those we want to be saved, who are perhaps our family members, among our friends, people in the world, ultimately aren't saved. Their eyes are closed to what we can see. Jesus is right there, we say, and we know, and he's right there for anybody, but, but they don't 
recognize him. And there's this mysterious sort of interplay. They are willfully closing their eyes to the Lord, but also there's a sense in which God is keeping their eyes closed from seeing Jesus. And so we pray that our Father opens their eyes as he's opened ours to reveal Jesus to them. Joseph, when he speaks to his brothers about God's plan to save them through him, uses the word remnant in verse 7. God sent me ahead of you to preserve a remnant on earth. What, what's that about? Uh, people that work with, with cloth, with, with, with material and sewing know what remnants are. Remnant in, is similar. It's a small part remaining. And that's how it always is with salvation. Not everybody is going to respond. In fact, in the context of this whole world and in the sight of others, and this was true from Bible times until now, the church can look small and even weak. True believers are not always a large group in comparison to those who don't believe. The Bible says not everyone says, Lord, Lord. But the remnant can make a big difference and be a blessing to the whole world like God promised we would be to Father Abraham. And that blessing happens especially when we are unified, when the church is unified, when, when the church is not bickering, when there's not the type of politics going on in the church that is happening in the world around us. And that's why the Bible says so strongly and emphasizes the unity of the church. And we have the unity of God's church back then where Joseph encourages them, guys, don't, don't quarrel along the way. Get, a, get along, would you? Maybe you've heard it said that, that snowflakes are one of nature's most fragile things. But then we look and we see what the most fragile things in all of nature can do when they're sticking together. All the more so when the church sticks together, is unified under the truth of God's word, and unified in Jesus Christ, even though we are a remnant in this world. Just look at what we can do together for the kingdom. Look at the awesome mission that we can be about that Jesus Christ gives us and we can be busy in with the Spirit's help. We also see in the plan of salvation that the Father's heart longs to be reunited with his children. Joseph can't keep it together, right, at the beginning of our verses. He's weeping as he tells his brothers who he is, that he's their brothers. There's hugs and all, all around deep emotion in this coming together of the family after being separated for all these years, after all the hurt, and God brings them all together. And when Pharaoh and his officials heard about Joseph being reunited with his brothers, they seemed to have been touched too. They were pleased, we read. And, and more than that, the God of Israel was pleased in this. God so loved the world that he sent his son to die. God's love. How deep is the Father's love for us? How can he love us, his lost and his wandering children, so much after all we've done? After our resistance and, and wrestling with him and pushing him away? Yet, he loves us. How, how is that possible, that he loves you, that he loves me? It's a mystery. It's ultimately a mystery. But he does, says his word, and sending Jesus to die is the proof of that love. In salvation also, and this is finally today, the father overwhelms his family with blessings. We read about the plan that's going to go forward, that the brothers will go back to Canaan get all their family, and bring them back to Egypt. They will get the best of the land of Egypt. It's emphasized a number of times, the fat of the land. 
Verse 20, the best of all Egypt will be yours. Never mind all your belongings back home. Leave them. Which implies what they have back in Canaan is junk compared to what they'll get from Pharaoh and Joseph in Egypt. In a similar way, all our so-called treasures in this world are nothing, junk, compared to the riches that the Father has for us in Jesus Christ. As the great hymn says, See how we grovel here below, so fond of our trifling toys. When we're focused there, but the, the Father has treasures for us and blessings and riches. Ephesians 1.3 tells us the Father has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Jesus. <clears throat> I read from a pastor this past week who ticks off 15 blessings mentioned in the rest of Ephesians 1, and I'm going to go through them. We were chosen before the foundation of the world. That means at the very least that our life matters to God. Life, people's lives are not an accident. More than a decision made by a man and a woman, God gave us life. He's our maker. It's to our peril, and it's to our nation's peril as a whole, as we've been focusing on a bit this morning, that life of any kind is trivialized, and when we don't do what we can to protect it. Other blessings that overwhelm us, we're holy and blameless, we're in his love, we're adopted, we're accepted, we're redeemed through Jesus' blood, our sins are forgiven, we read that we have the riches of his grace, the mystery of God's will has become known to us. You, you think about that blessing once, the mystery of God's will has become, has been made known to us. All throughout history, especially in our recent history, these last months and last year or so, all the questions and puzzles of life that we have, when you think, whether it's thinking about uh, the direction of this world, the direction of this nation, when you think about being diagnosed with cancer or, or losing a loved one, so that, that causes questions and, and puzzlement. And everybody has those in the midst of, of life's challenges. But this blessing means that we have an ultimate answer and a solution. In Jesus and in the Father's plan, we are anchored in the rock despite the storms around us because we know the mystery of God's will. We have an eternal inheritance. We've heard the word of truth we read. In other words, we have the truth. We're not left without wisdom or just false news and falsehoods and lies in this world. We're not left in the dark. We've heard the word of truth. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We know the hope of his calling. That means we have a future. We have a purpose. We ourselves, we read, one another. We talk about the riches of his inheritance. In Ephesians 1, it says, we, brothers and sisters in Jesus, are the riches of his inheritance. We have the exceeding greatness of his power for living. These are the blessings of our Heavenly Father mentioned in this one single chapter of the Bible. It's overwhelming in a good way. And so Jacob was revived through the work God did through his son Joseph. And the whole family was in a very real sense. How much more are we revived, in fact, born again and saved through the work of the Father's only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. What a picture we have of how God our Father saves his family. The question is, are you a part of that picture today? I pray you are. 
that your eyes are open to Jesus who was sent, that you know deep down the Father's heart of love for you, his child, and that you experience the blessings of his grace, that you're overwhelmed by them in your life, overwhelmed to such an extent that we can't help share them with lives of service and love for God and for those around us. Let's pray for help in all of that, okay? Father, help us to see Jesus. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our mind to see him. If there's someone in this sanctuary or someone listening online that has not opened their eyes to Jesus, would you open them and may they see Jesus and through him salvation and a loving father who created us and all life and who keeps us in spite of it all, who keeps his family. And I pray that more and more people through us, Lord, and through the ministry of our church here might become adopted into the family of our heavenly father and become brothers and sisters in him forever. We pray, Lord, that we would experience and receive that deep, deep love of you, Father, that it would touch us, that it would change us, and that it would bless us to be a blessing uh, to everyone around us. In your name we pray, amen. We're going to stand and sing in response to God's word, how vast the benefits divine. Let's sing. Let's stand. incredible to be a part of the family of God, our Father's family. Before the blessing, I, I just wanted to remind you, as always these days, we're asked to not linger after the service. Um, and if you do want to spend some time talking with others and visiting, that you use your best judgment in terms of social distancing and face masks and so forth. Family of our Heavenly Father, uh, receive this blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.